0: Hello, hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 111, 111 of the Yours Truly podcast. I had to say 111 because that was just... Too much of a fun opportunity to pass up, if you know what I mean. But I'm really excited that you are joining me here today for episode 111. This is actually an episode that I am really looking forward to, or I have been looking forward to releasing, because it's on a topic that I get a lot of questions about, especially recently. I've been doing a couple more things on my story with you know question boxes and asking for ideas on upcoming webinar topics. And just topics to talk more about and something that I have been getting a lot of inquiries about is how the heck do I navigate intuitive eating and wanting to make peace with food and not have restrictions on my eating when I have to have restrictions on my eating for medical reasons or medical purposes, for example, in the face of food allergies or food intolerances or celiac disease, right? All of these things that do require us to restrict in some way, shape, or form something that we are eating, be it uh, a food, an ingredient, a protein within food in in the case of celiac disease. And I know that can be really challenging to navigate when we're really trying to make peace with food and view all foods as morally equivalent. But before I give too much of today's episode away, we have to pause first for a moment to move forward with our regularly scheduled programming, the segment of every podcast where I feature a post from our free private Facebook community, the Yours Truly Goal Slayer. So if you are new to our show, this is again a free private community that I run that is really for anyone who is wanting to learn more about intuitive eating, to have a community of like-minded individuals where you can read, you can ask questions, you can tune into our weekly live video conversations. There is just an abundance of support and information, and I'll tell you how to join here in a moment. But first, I'll read you the post that I want to feature that actually has Uh, something to do with the topic of today's episode. I saw this post come through a couple of weeks ago and I pinned it in my mind as one to come back to and feature kind of in, in lead up and in anticipation to today's podcast conversation. So this Goal Slayer writes, trigger warning first, restriction, but no specifics. I need help. I'm still fairly new to intuitive eating, and until recently, I was doing a lot better about not restricting. I took an allergy test for an upcoming medical procedure and found out that I'm allergic to colophony, P.S., I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. That's not what she wrote, but that is me saying, I hope I am saying this word correctly, colophony. It's basically pine resin, she says. It's a common emulsifier, among other things. It's used in the pasteurization process of dairy. It's in coffee, all caps, citrus. It's basically in every food item that I keep on hand for tough days. I have no idea how to keep the progress that I've gained with this new rule. So first of all, a big thank you to this goalslayer slayer for sharing a little bit of her story and kind of this challenging situation that she has found herself in. So I'm actually going to read a comment that someone left. This is actually a good friend and now a fellow dietitian friend of mine who I had the pleasure of meeting and working with Uh, A number of years ago, at a summer camp actually, that specialized in making summer camp a safe and a fun experience for kids who have to navigate a lot of food allergies. As you can imagine, as you know, a a child who has to navigate a lot of food allergies, uh, and from a parent's perspective, sending them off to a summer camp where you don't know if the food is safe, you don't know if the kitchen staff is trained or educated on cross-contact and cross-contamination, that would be a really nerve-wracking thing to do, I can imagine, as a parent. But anyways, this summer camp that both my friend Mara and Rachel, shout out to Mara and Rachel if you're listening, but um, that we worked at, they, Mara and Rachel, were kind of the head of the Allergy Department. of the kitchen, making sure that everyone was trained, everyone knew how to safely handle and cook food, especially for the kids at the camp who really had a, a lot of food allergies that we had to be mindful of in order to keep them safe. So the reason why I am reading Mara's comment, I actually tagged her in this post, is because she, as she alludes to and talks about in this post, actually has a number of food allergies herself, and I am a big proponent centering the lived experience of individuals who actually have experience with this topic. As you'll hear me share in this episode, I feel very fortunate and very privileged to not have any food allergies of my own, so I really kind of wanted to bring on a Rachel or a guest here in this podcast, and of course, Mara for the purpose of answering this question in our Facebook community, because they can not only speak from professional experience, being registered dietitians, but they also can speak from personal experience experience as well. So anyways, Mara writes to the poster in our Facebook community. I know I just listed like a thousand different things, but so we're on the same page. This is in response to that Facebook community post. She writes, allergies are definitely tough to navigate with intuitive eating, but it's also still very possible. Above everything else, remember to be gentle with yourself and allow yourself some time to readjust. One way you can reframe this new quote rule is that everyone's favorite foods change. You can explore some new favorite foods for yourself now. I have a lot of food allergies myself, and something that always helps me is to think about what I can have rather than what I can't. The list of things I can have is always longer than the things that I can't. Think about it from an abundance point of view. This stuff is hard, but you're doing great. Keep trying and being gentle with yourself. You've got this. So a big shout out to Mara and the poster here in our Facebook community. Again, I really wanted to use this post to kick off my conversation with our guest, because I think it really highlights a lot of what we're going to talk about in today's conversation. How do we make peace with food and work to have a relationship with food and our eating habits that isn't restrictive, but at some points has to be restrictive, at least to a certain extent, to keep us safe and to keep us healthy. One thing that I will add before I introduce today's guest, in addition to what Mara was saying about thinking about this from an abundance mentality, what I can have rather than what I can't, something that I've always thought might be helpful, again, not having the lived experience of someone with an allergy, but I always offer this tip to anyone who sends me a question along these lines is... One thing that is super important to remember about intuitive eating, the intuitive eating approach is that we really have to check our intentions. This is something that I call with my clients intention testing something. And what I mean by this is looking at the reason why we might engage with some quote unquote restrictive eating behaviors. Now, in the case of a food allergy or a food intolerance or a medicalized reason why we need to avoid certain foods or avoid certain ingredients, the intention behind that is a wanting to stay safe wanting to stay alive, wanting to feel our best and act out of body respect and care, right? The intention behind avoiding foods in this conversation for the purpose of this entire episode is not coming from a diet culture mindset, from a restrictive mindset, from a wanting to control or manipulate our bodies. That's very very different. So again, for anyone who is out there thinking well, how do I manage not having a restrictive approach to food when I have to impose some restrictions on myself? Again, A, in addition to what Mara said about abundance, focusing on what we can have, discovering maybe some new favorite foods of your own, we also have to consider the intention behind our behaviors and how avoiding food out of medical necessity is very, very, very different for a different purpose with a different intention than a lot of what diet culture encourages and condones. So with that being said, I am super excited to introduce today's guest to all of you. Her name is Rachel Nahr. She is a registered dietitian. She She has a master's degree as well. And I'll read a little bit off of her bio and then we'll turn the conversation over to her and me as well. So she is a decaf coffee loving Leo with a passion for people, places, running, Motown music, and especially health and nutrition. She enjoys long romantic walks down the produce aisle and is a fiber fiend and tree nut allergic smoke smoked salmon fanatic. Rachel, that was a mouthful, but I made it through. Rachel is a registered dietitian, nutritionist, and founder of Rachel Nar Nutrition. At NAR, N A A R, trition, NAR trition, love the play on words on Instagram, where she sees clients for eating disorders, food allergies and intolerances, and GI distress. Rachel is particularly interested in the space between food and mood. She previously worked at Mount Sinai West in New York City and covered the psychiatric unit, neurosurgery unit, and cardiac unit, as well as orthopedic surgery units. She has an undergraduate degree from New York University's Psych? T-I-S-C-H? I'm sorry, Rachel, I do not know how to pronounce that, but um, School of Arts with a major in theater. She received her master's degree in clinical nutrition at New York University's School of Culture and Education. She completed her dietetic internship at Thomas Jefferson University Hospital in Philadelphia. Food is so confusing and there is a slew of misinformation, fad diets, and body shaming information out there that can feel impossible to shift through. So whether you need help learning how to prepare food for the week, figuring out what triggers uncomfortable symptoms or anything in between, Rachel promises to be your no BS scientifically backed, sassy spirited food co-pilot. So again, a really big thank you to Rachel NAR of Nutrition, Rachel NAR Nutrition. I just love so much the play on words. You'll hear us talk about that at the end of the episode. But thank you so much to her for taking time out of her busy schedule to come talk to me, to help me learn more about food allergies and intolerances, and of course to allow us to record that conversation so I can share this with all of you. I know it is a highly requested topic for all of you who are looking to combine intuitive eating with your food allergy journey, you know, navigating this in a way that's not going to be triggering of that restrictive mindset. So I hope you find this episode helpful. And without further ado, here's my conversation with Rachel. Enjoy. Rachel, welcome to the Yours Truly podcast. I am so excited to be talking with a fellow East Coaster today. I have to say the past like, five people I've interviewed for the podcast have, interestingly enough, all been from Texas. (laughs) I don't know what it is about Texas. I love everyone who I've interviewed. I have family in Texas, but it's also great to have someone uh, from the East Coast here. So you're in New York,
1: correct? New York, New Jersey area? Yeah, New York, New Jersey, between the two, yeah.
0: Okay. Um, so before we dive into who you are, what you do, I have a fun, lighthearted game called this or that. So are you ready for my five super important questions? I'm nervous, but I'm ready. Okay. When it comes to noodles, noodles, shapes, and sizes, do you prefer spaghetti or something like a penne that is more easily fit onto a
1: fork? That's hard. Oh my God. I had spaghetti last night, but I think penne. I think if I were to pick penne,
0: I think I would have to agree with you. It's not that I don't like spaghetti, but it's inherently just
1: harder to eat. You feel me? Yeah. You can really like get the fork in the penne. Like there's a, yeah, I think I enjoy that mechanism better. Me too. And I
0: feel like it's better at capturing a more equal ratio of sauce. Per noodle,
1: per bite—that's an important ratio.
0: Yeah, especially with the penne, the sauce can just kind of like slide in there and just kind of sit in the noodle. Where I feel like with spaghetti, you really have to try to to get it to be more saucy.
1: Maybe I thought this through. You thought this through. No, you're so right on. You're right on. I have to say, I did have a a leg up. I came up with the question, so
0: I've (laughs) sat with my responses for a bit longer than you have. Um, Next one: Are you team iPhone or team Android?
1: Oh, I'm I'm team iPhone, but you know, I lately what I've been doing uh at the end of the day is putting my phone in the other room uh-huh. and I sleep with it on airplane mode um and turn off the Wi-Fi and all that kind of stuff. Um, I mean I have the whole iPhone and the whole Apple situation with the MacBook and all that, but um I'm team reading. If I, can, if I can say that in the evening, I just need to be team reading. Yeah.
0: And it's funny. Let's see. Oh my gosh. You set me up so perfectly. I promise to anyone who is listening, Rachel and I did not plan this. She does not know these questions beforehand, but my next question is actually about reading. I kid you not. So um, when it comes to reading, do you prefer a physical book or listening
1: to an audio book? Physical book, hands down. I love covers. I'm such a sucker for a cover. If you, I mean, it doesn't even matter what the book is. If you have like a colorful, creative color, I'm going to pay attention. Like that marketing worked on me. Um, But I, but I'm, I'm, it's the same thing with like a Kindle or anything. Like I want to, I don't know. I want to hold it in my hand.
0: Yeah. I couldn't agree more. It's something I feel like when I'm holding like a tablet or a a virtual type book or a a digitized book, I guess it'd be a better way to describe it. I feel like I'm just like on social media or I'm working. I feel like holding a physical book just makes the experience of reading a lot different.
1: Totally agreed.
0: Um, okay, well, now that we know your team book, not team phone, and team physical book, not team <laughs> digitized book, what about when it comes to spreads? Are you more of a nut butter, like a peanut butter, or would you rather have uh, something like a Nutella?
1: Oh, well, I am allergic to Nutella. So uh-huh. can't, although it smells amazing, I mean, I've had it before and it's Not been a good situation, but it's delicious. But I would say, um, you know, what I love um, is sun butter. I've been sun butter's been sort of my best friend with some of my um, intolerances, and Uh yeah, it's it's smooth and um, you know, I feel like also too for when you have to choose something else that's not you know sort of your your fan favorite staples. It's nice to be able to now like purchase something to be able to like hang. You can make like a Um, sun butter and banana sandwich, you know, kind of hang with everybody that's doing their PBJs or their almond butter, whatever. So um, sadly, not team Nutella, maybe fangirling from afar for the Nutella. Uh, Pretty very far, very far. (laughs) But sun, I would say, you know, spreading around with my sun butter. And I have to say, sun butter is pretty darn tasty, in my opinion. Like, I am diehard peanut butter
0: and jelly. I do not have an allergy. I totally understand that's a different story. And sun butter must be chosen out of necessity. But all the times I've tried it, like, it's pretty good. In my it's pretty opinion. good. Yeah, I... I actually, for, um, let me see, three, four summers ago, it was a while ago at this point, but I actually worked at a summer camp that specialized in, like, allergen-free eating and catering to to kids with food allergies, and it was a total peanut and tree nut-free zone, like, on the camp campus. That's hard to say, camp campus, but the, the main staple that they always had near, like, the toaster section in the cafeteria was sun butter, so... That summer I became very accustomed to sun butter and jelly. <laughs> wow. Summer.
1: I want to go to the camp.
0: Yeah, it seems I'm like it would, Yeah, it seems like it would be fitting. Uh, camp Emerson in Massachusetts. Plug for anyone who's looking I'll for
1: Um
0: so final question for you here. I guess this first and foremost depends on if you're a Taylor Swift fan. Yes, no?
1: I would say that the last uh, album, I, I was, it was fine.
0: Okay. You seem lukewarm (laughs) about Taylor Swift. It's like, I don't love it. It's okay. Um, my question is going to be in the arena of Taylor Swift. Are you more of a lover fan, the, the album lover or Mm -hmm. her more recent album folklore? Which one would you prefer if you had to pick one?
1: Lover all the way. I think the folklore um, it's sort of like background music to me. I felt like they all sort of sounded the same. She's interesting and she's funny and she has good lyrics and she's actually a great artist, I think. But I thought that it was sort of, and I, and I get, you know, she's sort of leaning into the folklore side of things and that's probably, you know, shows another side of her, but I thought it was kind of like meh. I I have to I, I love the comparison of a
0: nice like background music because I feel like if you played the whole album from start to finish, all the sound all the songs would sound fairly similar in my opinion at least. But I think and that's a a hard question because I feel like the albums are so different. Look at us, this is now a music podcast. What did you know? <laughs> <laughs> but I feel like um, on sound alone, I like something to like bop to and to jam out to like I like Love my music bop. to be kind of fun and upbeat I feel like that's more lover but I feel like if you're having a sad day for fall mm-hmm. um, I feel like for lyrical complexity as well I feel like yeah. folklore has it but for the fun bops lover for sure
1: so true fun bops yeah Fun bops.
0: okay well I promise I will not spend the rest of our time talking about um, Taylor Swift, although that would be, <laughs> would be fun. Um, but I would love for you to share just a little bit more about who you are and what it is that you do so everyone can learn a little bit more about you past your reading and, and music preferences here.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, I'm a registered dietitian. I am the founder of Rachel Nar Nutrition and I specialize in eating disorders and really individuals looking to understand and develop their relationship between food and uh, definitely as it relates to mood. Super passionate, as you probably just realized, about the food intolerance and allergy space, uh, and have a special interest in nutritional psychiatry as well. I'm looking to help people cultivate a healthy a healthy relationship with food and sort of break free, you know, ditch that diet mentality and that focuses on weight and come to sort of an all foods fit mentality. Um, I do love music. Uh, I started as a theater major at NYU Uh uh, undergrad. So I was at Tisch for performing arts and I was like, gonna do it, the singing, the acting. Um, I wouldn't say dancing, I'm, I'm like a mover. I'm, a, I'm an actor who moves is the, is the term. I'm not a dancer, <laughs> although I do, I like to bop. Um, and then I, I went back to NYU to, got, to get my master's in clinical nutrition. Um, and I did my internship at Thomas Jefferson University Hospital in Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. And I was really interested. The reason why I went back to nutrition is I found in the performing arts space the way in which one different actors or creatives spoke to one another, the way in which agents would say, all right, Rachel, like lose 20 pounds or gain 20 pounds, pick one. Like how crazy, like what other industry do you get that kind of feedback? And for me, I just found I really wanted to be on the helping side for performers and creatives, especially that's definitely a subset of who I see creatives. Um, And I started working at Mount Sinai West Um, once I became a dietitian in New York City and started developing my private practice on the side. And then I have since left Mount Sinai and I'm full-time virtual right now. Um, And I see clients one-on-one. I do, I'm running a group right now called the Mindful Munch Method Uh for um, every other week and Tuesdays um, throughout the fall. And I do some corporate wellness as well. And, uh, yeah, just, just really excited about uh, helping people deal with sort of this, this thing that we all have to deal with, which is eating. We all have to eat. We all have to figure out how to operate around food. So, yeah, that's, that's sort of me. You have a lot going on. <laughs> You're busy, it sounds like. Yeah, no, it's been really fun. And
0: congrats too on um, more recently here, kind of diving in, going full time on not only private practice, but also a virtual one, how fitting, and you know, kind of the, the time and the space that we're all living in now. But I love what you were mentioning and I had no idea before you shared it, which is why I love asking a little bit about backstory before we get into our main topic, but I had no idea that you had a connection to the performing arts, to the theater. You know, to be honest, I have not done any of that, any of that at all in my life. I've very much kind of been more in the sciences, but I don't think I've ever actively considered, I guess, because I've never been in that space, the pressure on all individuals as a whole in the culture that we live in, but especially on those individuals who are in a space or in a job where they are judged or hired or fired, maybe specifically based on how their body appears and kind of all of the, the, the complications nutritionally and psychologically that can come from that. So that's very cool. I'm sure that the people in that community who, you know, like you have some common ground with, you can also help them from the yeah. nutrition perspective as well. That's yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Well, learn something new every day, right? I mm-hmm. learned something new about you. Um, but something that I would kind of love to dive into here, and I, I guess we hinted at it fairly well, again, not planned in our this or that, um, but you were mentioning earlier that you have become passionate about the food allergy that community, the food intolerance community, kind of helping individuals in that space both on you know your professional experience and your personal experience as well have a healthy relationship with food and i was sharing a little bit before we hit record that maybe there's something in the air now you know maybe everyone's becoming a little bit more in tune to this but i've been getting a lot of questions recently like hey claire i love the message of intuitive eating the all foods fit approach like you were saying but how do I make that work and how do I make that realistic for me if I do have a medical reason why I have to avoid certain foods? So there's a lot to unpack there, but I am interested to kind of have you define or speak just briefly here about the difference first and foremost between a food allergy and a food intolerance, because I feel like those can kind of be used interchangeably, it, but they're not the same thing. So share just a little bit about that for definition's sake, if
1: you will. Sure. Yeah, I get that question a lot. I, I, I totally hear people using them uh, interchangeably. So a true food allergy is an immune system reaction that's likely affecting multiple organs throughout your body. And you can have a range of symptoms that can range from sort of mild to very intensely life-threatening, throat closing, that kind of stuff, Uh, hives, blood pressure dropping. And um, a food intolerance, uh, with a food intolerance, the symptoms can be similar, but they're generally less serious. Um, Oftentimes, it's digestive-related symptoms and it's not an immune system reaction. So that's the difference. So a true food allergy is mediating an immune response from the body, and a food intolerance is um, like a reaction that's not life-threatening. Yeah, I think it's really
0: important to kind of have that distinction of one could very well be life-threatening, and one, although it is important to look out for and create awareness around, it's not going to be life-threatening, you know, they're in the short term. Again, I hear people use these terms interchangeably, and I think that can be very misleading and probably frustrating too for for those of you in, like, the food allergy and intolerance community. I mean, would you say it's frustrating to have misinformation, people using these terms wrongly? Like, how does that feel for someone who is, like, in this community, both personally and professionally?
1: Sure. I mean, I think... You know, what I see a lot, you know, however many years ago when it became sort of like in vogue to be Uh gluten-free and everybody just put that on a pedestal. And then you have individuals that are really dealing with celiac disease and experiencing that thinning of the lining of their gut mucosa when they're having gluten and those intense abdominal crampings and uncomfortable dizzy spells. Or someone who thinks that, you know, as part of diet culture, that, um, not having gluten is healthier or going to lead to weight loss or whatever it might be. And the individual oftentimes, you know, maybe it's different from person to person, but the individual that I'm seeing that has celiac disease oftentimes is like, if only I could, my life would be so much easier. You know, they don't know how good they have it. I wish I could, um, so yeah absolutely it can be really frustrating and i think too a big one that i see like there are certain individuals that will have a true dairy allergy mm-hmm. so an immune response versus like a lactose intolerance mm-hmm. where maybe you have some gi upset or cramping or diarrhea um so you perhaps could tolerate, and that's what I work with some of my clients on, like there might be a threshold uh-huh. if you have an intolerance, maybe a threshold amount that you can tolerate, and maybe you're also taking like a digestive enzyme along with it, and we trial that together. I mean, sometimes I trial that, I mean, right now over over um, video, I'm trialing things in real time with them because it's very, you know, in- intensely fearful to do it on their own and then we'll do it in real time. And then, you know, we're checking in over the course of the 72 hours after and how's it going and what are they experiencing? But yeah, I think, you know, it's super frustrating. I mean, for me, Hey, I would love that Nutella. It's just not going to, it's not going to be a good look if I do the Nutella, but you know, for the individuals that are pulling back on things because they think that it's like, there's this perceived like health halo or it's healthier. I think it's problematic. Yeah,
0: and I think it's really important too, which is why I wanted to kind of start off our conversation with that question. What is the difference? Is it frustrating that sometimes people view them as the same thing, even though they're not? Because I kind of wanted to set the stage for the rest of our conversation. You know, when we're going to be talking about avoiding certain foods or not including certain foods, I wanted it to be abundantly clear. We're talking about that from the perspective of one has to do this because they can't have a certain food or they have that immune response, or maybe it's highly uncomfortable if they include that. I think there's a very, very big difference between choosing to eat in a way where you're avoiding certain foods out of medical necessity and then choosing that because it's kind of like the Vogue syndrome, like you were saying. It's like, because it's trendy and because my neighbor Susie is doing it and she said it worked for her, right? Mm-hmm. Two very different things. And I think this kind of boils down to something that I tell my clients all the time is our you know, reasoning to follow a certain way of eating. Um, I, I think we really have to focus on what is our intention behind it, right? Again, is it because I don't have another option and my body will shut down or give me immune response if I eat this certain food Or are we choosing that from a disordered mindset, from I'm scared of this food mindset, so I'm just going to say I have to avoid it, right? Very big difference there. So um, something that I'd kind of love to go into next is, you know, when we were talking about setting up this interview, one thing that I did want to talk about with you is what are maybe a couple of tips or ideas that you have for people who do fall in line with you know, I love this idea of intuitive eating, all foods fit, but I can't have certain foods because of my allergies or because of the strong discomfort that follows. What are maybe some tips or ideas that you have for these people where they can still work to have a healthy relationship with food in a way that's also going to be respectful of what their body needs to stay safe?
1: Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. It's a great question. And I'm constantly thinking about this as I'm working with people. I think one of the biggest things, like let's say, for example, you know, you're, you're with your friends or your partner or your family and it's pizza night and you want to make uh, pizza from scratch. But maybe sort of across the board, different people have a couple of different intolerances or maybe some allergies. I mean, there's a way in which, and I think what's great is that this information is so readily available now there's so many alternative recipes to create these same delicious things. So you don't have to feel like the outsider that can't be involved in your brother. My brother's name is Jesse, Jesse's pizza, and he's going to put, you know, the full, the full nine on it, as we would imagine, um, you know, when we think about pizza, but for somebody else, perhaps they can't do the dairy. So um like there's a this brand that I'm obsessed with right now called Veal Life and it has this like sort of shredded it's made from coconut, this shredded like mozzarella. And so that way you don't have to feel so like kind of lonely in your corner. You can participate and have sort of like your, ver- your slice of the pie, um, so to speak, and still spend time and not necessarily feel like, oh, I have to kind of just operate solo. Because oftentimes food allergies and intolerances can be really lonely, mm-hmm. can feel really embarrassing um, to have to, you know, if you're eating out, to have to like, I can't tell you how many times, I'm like the waiters across the table from me and I'm like, can you just like come right here so I can have this like one little conversation with you sort of more quiet and not so public in front of everybody. Um, It can be really, really lonely. So I think, you know, byo cheese if you need to right like sort of getting comfortable with um doing some research uh on a couple of different alternatives so that you can still spend time as part of that larger um gathering if you need to you know if you're going to you know somebody's um baby shower whatever it is like whatever you're doing right now can you byo snack Mm -hmm. um so that way and and maybe if if they're serving things they they grab one of their serving bowls and it gets put in the bowl and other people can have it too so that way you don't have to feel so isolated like it's for everybody this is what you brought to contribute um and that way you know you have something to eat and you're not in a situation where you know you get there and you fingers crossed that you're going to be okay and then you're restricting because you literally can't eat anything. And then later you come home and you're, you know, operating on a zero. And then you're mm-hmm. first grabbing something to eat. So I think, you know, what comes with the territory with intolerances and allergies is sort of getting uh, flexible to uh, kind of prepare and plan ahead of time. I think that's just the name of the game. Um, you know, feeling feeling empowered to sort of ask the host, hey, FYI you know, um, just curious what you're, what, 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 you got there and, and, and figuring that out there, but it's, you know, it's, I, I'm, I'm with you all out there. Cause I've experienced this. It can be lonely and it can be embarrassing and people can roll their eyes. Like you're like the difficult person when the last thing you want to do is be difficult. And oftentimes you're quite shy and embarrassed about it, but I would say doing some preparation when you can, um, can be quite empowering. But you know, one thing that I've been thinking about is that it's a privilege to be able to eat intuitively. Mm-hmm. Like it is it is a straight privilege, especially now with in the world that we're in, you might be fearful to go to the grocery store. So let alone intuitively eat. It's like, I would love you to be able to eat intuitively, but I would first love you to be able to feel comfortable and safe to get the food in the first place. So it almost even big picture makes me think about intuitive eating. Uh, As a privilege in and of itself. Oh my God. I mean, I'm so happy
0: that you brought this up because I mean, if we look at even the wording of some of the principles of intuitive eating, right? Unconditional permission to eat, right? And we view this as an integral part of the intuitive eating framework. But if we really unpack what that means and the level of privilege that is almost needed to make that happen, right? That um, principle is almost assuming that we have enough food first and foremost that we have unlimited to access to all of the foods that we enjoy that the supply is never going to run out um and that would be great in theory and that might be the case for some individuals and and i think too in the most recent edition of the intuitive eating book the authors have you read the the newest edition yet or have you gotten your hands on it yes yes
1: i haven't finished but i have it
0: yes okay i'm the same way i i have it i have not finished it you know back to front but I finished the other editions, but Mm -hmm. you know, something that I'm hopeful that the authors have been a little bit more mindful or inclusive of is like, yeah, this is a privilege and here are the different ways that we can get creative to make this work and make, make this accessible for everyone within the realities of their daily life. And I think allergies is a really big piece of that. Mm -hmm. So I I love kind of your idea of having that foresight in a way um, of, you know, where am I going? who's going to be cooking you know what is going to be available and two looking at social outings I know looking at them now is very different from what they might look like in the past but you
1: might not be going to that baby shower right now
0: you might be doing it on zoom in which case we all have our own snacks
1: anyway. Exactly.
0: but I, I love your tip of um, almost kind of centering the the social component being like yeah food is going to be a part of this. And in order for me to be able to feel like I am being included and I'm there to be social, you know, I'm there with the community. If food is a part of that for me, which I would argue it's a part of it for everyone, kind of having that foresight to say, do I need to bring something and then put it on the table for everyone to have so I can take part. I love that idea so much of even just saying to the host, hey, do you have a bowl? I could put this snack in. We can make it available to everyone to make that a little bit more inclusive in that space. And two, something that came up as you were sharing is so fitting together so perfectly. That camp that I mentioned that I worked at, um, I worked amongst many people there kind of in the kitchen who were in charge of the allergy station to make sure that food was safe for consumption for individuals. They themselves Struggled with a lot of food allergies, and I remember one of the main kind of themes or, or tips that I caught from these individuals as I was just trying to soak it all up and you know learn from them as someone who doesn't have food allergies myself. I remember they would say, and I would love kind of your thoughts and feedback on this, but try focusing on the foods you can have and the foods that are safe safe to eat rather than focusing on the list that is going to be more harmful, or is not going to be great for you to include. What is kind of your mindset about focusing on that can have list
1: rather than the can't? Does that make sense? Yeah, I love that. I love that. I think, you know, our, what we tell our, our brain, like our, what that thought process in our head, like oftentimes we repeat it and we feel like it's true. And it's almost like when you say something like with a no, like I can't this, like the second that i said can't like my body just tensed like i i can't explain it there's like a te- there's a tension that i feel and when i say yes even in the way the word yes is a smile uh-huh. i have more energy i have more ability to be involved in what's going on it's just that, that I think different mindset just allows you to feel more calm and at ease and bring those cortisol levels down, which are already, we know are going to be a little bit higher in that situation and focusing on, okay, like for example, I had a client say to me, okay, like I can't necessarily do that salsa dip and maybe I can't do the cheeses there, but like I can do the chips. I'm going to have the chips and I'm going to have the carrots. and I'm going to put that on my plate. And I'm just going to operate like this is what I'm eating in this moment instead of really, you know, focusing in on the fact that, you know, she couldn't have X, Y, or Z. I think you're totally spot on. And, and so were the kitchen staff there that oftentimes if we focus on what we can have, we feel pretty grateful and can enjoy it more.
0: Yeah. And I'm wondering too, maybe we can kind of um, specify this to a tip or a takeaway. But I'm trying to to put myself as best I can in maybe the metaphorical shoes of someone who is listening. Like, let's say someone is listening, they're nodding their head, they're like, okay, Rachel, that sounds amazing. I want to focus on that, you know, what I can have mentality, the yes mentality. But maybe I've just been diagnosed with an allergy, maybe with something like celiac disease. So kind of a Again, putting ourselves in the shoes of someone who wants to get to that place of that mindset you were just describing, but right now that's like super challenging and hard because they're just trying to navigate eating in a way that might need to look different from how they've been eating in the past. So, I mean, this was probably you at some point as well. So would you maybe have any tips or kind of mindset ideas for someone like that?
1: Yeah, it uh, definitely was me. I think, you know, when I find that I'm anxious around food or one of my clients is anxious around food, oftentimes we're living in the past or the future. Like, I wish I could have, or um, is this going to go bad? Am I going to get hives? Am I going to, you know, that constant thought pattern that we have. Is my is my throat hurting? Is it closing? You know, that, that whole song and dance that I definitely have done um, instead of being in the present moment. And I find, you know, grounding yourself in the present moment, like looking down, what colors do you see? How many things are orange on your plate? Okay, like one, two, okay, the carrots, the pepper, or whatever it is, the cheese over there. Um, it brings you into the present moment. It brings you into that frontal, frontal lobe right there that allows you to think through cognitively instead of sort of relying on that amygdala part of the brain, the fear part of the brain. Um, I think engaging the senses so that's your sense of sight um oftentimes i've created for my clients my clients have created um sort of back to my music background uh like eating playlists like this is the chill vibes eating playlists and you feel like you're in this lounge and it's like so groovy Mm -hmm. and it sort of relaxes you and it makes it sort of fun and enjoyable um and then i think you know along the lines of the color presentation like can you can you get a little creative and, and you know, get sort of like unchopped um, and like, you know, make a little pretty plate there with with what you got going on and get excited about it. Um, so yeah, I think those are some of the ways like engaging your senses, putting your feet on the floor, having some music. And um, you know, counting the colors brings you sort of the present moment, and it's really hard as you're saying like one orange, two orange, three orange to have all space for that sort of rapid-fire, uh, uncomfortable thought dialogue in your head. Yeah,
0: I love too that you kind of um, brought in this theme of mindfulness. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think when you were kind of introducing yourself, you mentioned that the name of your group or you know something that you're doing is kind of rooted in something mindfulness related am i remembering yeah yeah
1: mindful munch method
0: okay so i am not surprised that you brought in mindfulness as kind of a theme here but i love how you kind of bridge that gap between okay i may have this new diagnosis i might you know have some fear around eating because of that, I haven't quite you know, figured out what eating looks like for me now. Um, but I love this idea of sure, validating those thoughts, because I'm sure it is challenging, and it is scary in a lot of ways. And at the same time, kind of bringing in this idea of, well, what can I root into that's happening right now? Um, again, I love the plate presentation, maybe the colors of what I can have, there's that theme again. or you, know, what is safe for me to include, how can I be here in the moment with that? rather than kind of let this track of you know, fear, anxiety, you know X, y, and z kind of play in the background. So you, you hit me with a, a, an answer I didn't necessarily respect when you were talking about food allergies to bring in mindfulness, but I love that. <laughs> yeah so much (laughs) well as we're kind of getting to the end of our interview here um before people learn you know where to find you where to follow you how to get more of your information again coming from your perspective of someone who has navigated these waters who you know has certain food allergies and intolerances if you could maybe give our listeners who this is really resonating with they're you know nodding their head any like one takeaway or one thing to keep in mind as far as making peace with food in the face of food allergies, what would you kind of want the main takeaway or knowledge nugget to be?
1: That's hard, yeah. what Where my brain is just going right now, um, I'll speak to sort of the food intolerances piece. I, for the past, I don't know, two and change years, swore that i ate a tomato and it you know went awry Mm -hmm. so i had avoided tomatoes for two years i was convinced you know cooked not cooked and i love like cherry tomatoes there's nothing better heirloom with like buffalo mozzarella like i'm there so it was a and pizza i mean i was eating a lot of white pizza and i you know felt behind the eight ball and if it's an intolerance, right? So not the allergy, and you know, remember we distinguish the difference. If it's an intolerance, what I find sometimes, not always, is that they can change over time and ebb and flow, and seasonally. And if there's other things going on in your system that perhaps get resolved in an intolerant situation, it might open up the world again for you to try some of those foods. So. I'd been doing a bit of that over the past two years. And I challenged myself and I said, you know what? I'm gonna start with a cooked tomato situation. It feels more comfortable for me if it's cooked, whatever the proteins, they'll be cooked, they'll be denatured. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm going to try tomato sauce. And you know, fast forward, like last night, I mean, I can't get enough. Last night I had like, you know, spaghetti with tomato sauce. My intolerances changed over time. I'm now able to tolerate the tomatoes. So what I would say to those of you out there that feel like you have an intolerance, maybe you step away from it for a period of time. But I would recommend if it's an intolerance to in a safe space, and maybe, you know, working with a doctor and a dietitian, try it. Do a trial and see how you do. Maybe you do sort of a small amount in, you know, a very specific experimental way, scientific way, and you see how you go. And then maybe you can have tomato sauce with spaghetti if you want, you know, and feel, feel, you know, on top of the world in that way. So, um, that's, that's sort of the nugget that I'd like to share.
0: And isn't that so interesting, too, how not necessarily with allergies, but again, with intolerances, like you were saying, how the body's response. Might change to certain things over time. Like, I find that so incredibly interesting. And, you know, something that I find with people who I have worked with or, you know, people who ask me questions on social media, they'll come kind of from this intolerance perspective saying, I'm so bummed. I'm never going to be able to eat X food again. Um, and, And so I love how you brought in this perspective of that might be true for some individuals. Again, not speaking to the people with allergies here, but again, to the intolerance community, that sure it might be true, but maybe again in the future in a safe space, I really appreciate that you added, you know, with the help or the support of a team, you know, doctor, dietitian. that might not always be the case for you and things can change and we can kind of trial some things in the future. So hopefully that's a helpful silver lining type thought to anyone who is listening. Well, Rachel has been so incredible connecting with you and learning from you. For everyone who is listening who is like I need more of her, I want to learn more of her content and maybe even dive deeper kind of into the conversation that we had here today, where is the best place for people to find you and get in contact with you?
1: Yeah, so you can uh, reach out to me or DM me on social media. My Instagram handle is Nartrition. I think I'm so clever. Like Rachel Narn, Nartrition. N-A-A-R-T-R-I-T-I-O-N. Uh, or you can just stop by at rachelnarnutrition.com. I have to say as a
0: pun lover and enthusiast yes. myself, I could not appreciate more the handle of that. Look at that. Your your handle, my business name, yours Julie's a play on my last name. Nartrition, yes. a play on your last name. So that's super cool. Well, Rachel, again, it has been a pleasure connecting with you for Thank everyone you who much. is listening. Go check her out. Check out her content. You know the resources. I believe I'm on your email list. you send that out like once monthly? Once about? monthly. Yeah, okay. exactly. I um, I was looking through it when I received the last one and I was loving all of the like product recommendations and suggestions. I think yeah. you might have even had that coconut cheek. Can I call it oh, that? Real life. Yeah, (laughs) I think you even had it on that. Um, that email newsletter, which is why it sounded familiar to me. So everyone go sign up for her newsletter, check her out on social media. And Rachel, whenever I sign off of a podcast, I always do it kind of like we're signing a letter. So I say you're Claire and Rachel and that's our show for today thank you so much again for tuning into episode 111 111 here of the yours truly podcast with rachel narr if you loved anything that we shared today or anything that we share on other episodes here of the show it would mean so much to me and our guests as well if you could tap those five stars and maybe even take a moment if you have it, to leave a review of the podcast as well, letting us know what you enjoy, what you're learning, anything that you'd like to see more of in the future. The more you rate and review these episodes, the more the podcast can grow to reach more individuals who could maybe benefit from hearing this message. So again, thank you so much for being here. I will be back next week, next Wednesday to be exact, with the next episode of the Yours Truly podcast. But until then, Have a great week.